welcome to the Data Rockstars Coffee Pod with me, Regina Lally. And me, Neil Partridge. Welcome back to the Coffee Podcast, Neil, and thank you very much for joining me this week while Kelly's away enjoying a well-deserved day off. Thank you very much, Regina. Always a pleasure. So this week, Neil, you've actually spotted some interesting stories linked to social media applications and how they're processing personal data that you thought it'd be really good for us to have a quick chat over a cuppa about. So do you want to uh, kick off with the first one that caught your interest? Yeah, I will. I, I'd love the sort of stories that we see that are fairly emotive. I mean, American politics is full of that at the moment. And actually, mm. um, one of the topics we're going to cover today may just touch on some of that. But what I picked up during the week was that the DPC, the Data Protection Commissioner over in, in Ireland, has actually picked up on the fact that potentially millions of children, people under the age of 18, have signed up for Instagram business accounts. Now, we all know that there are lots of young people are using Instagram, and that's okay. It has its challenges, but that's okay. But when you signed up for a business account, you had to hand over and publish your email address and telephone number. Now, that's one thing for a business, and maybe if you're a 17 year old window cleaner or you have a, you're an entrepreneur, age 16, starting a business. That's one thing. But to be able to get access to some of the business facilities, you have to have a business account. And that means you have to publish confidential data. And of course, as we all know, once it's on the internet, it's on the internet. Maybe think very hard. No, for sure. And I think we're in a world where young people are using lots of different applications online and not necessarily under the supervision of their parents and are probably quite interested in the opportunity to get the insights into how their posts are doing, how they're performing, which you get additionally with that business account. And also there's that attraction of becoming an influencer and, you know, making money that way. And so there's that kind of want to be, you know, I, I know that kids that are like I want to be a YouTuber it's not a job but it is because they make a lot of money from it and um, yeah there's just that risk there I think that sometimes that children don't really realize the risk of putting in their personal email or if they've got their own mobile phone that number and making it available on, on the net as you said it's then available online for people to use and get in touch with and obviously potentially could put them at risk because they'll be posting where they are what they're doing who they're interacting with and makes it very easy for other people to approach them make it seem as if they know them because they'll have enough information to make them believe that they're a known and safe person as opposed to a nefarious criminal on the internet with bad intentions towards kids. But it is absolutely right and it's a behavioural thing as well. Now, quite interestingly in the line of work I've been involved in for a few years I've been working in the, in the legal sector and also in the working with the dental professional sector. I've seen a really interesting shift that relates to this in that earlier on going back okay a decade or so that's as far as I'm prepared to talk about me coming back. <laughs> There were people who will will call them, in fact, they call themselves, I don't refer to them like this, I'll say that right now, but they refer to themselves as being dinosaurs when it comes to using the internet. And they were very slow to take it up. And this is going back a decade or so. And the younger people in those professions had grown up with the technology and they were happy to use it. I've seen the flip now in that the so-called dinosaurs have actually adopted a very cautious approach to using the internet. But what we are seeing is people who, are, who know nothing but the internet were born after 96, 97, 98, when everybody had broadband or broadband was coming in. And they accept now that you've got to hand over, or they believe they accept, you've got to hand over a certain amount of personal data just to get on in life. And the time will come we won't be able to watch television without registering to use television. The days of beaming over the over the airways will be gone. It'll all go through an internet as some sort of processor. But in the meantime, we've got lots of young people who've grown up with the internet. They don't understand the dangers. They don't understand what controls need to be in place. They just say, I want this. As you say, I want to be an influencer. Uh, what a great career. 
one in 10 million who actually managed to pull it off. So my question there is, these young people, don't, and vulnerable people as well, not just young people, vulnerable people don't know the rules, they don't know how to protect themselves. So what could organisations do, bearing in mind we're all working online now, we're all online organisations, what could we do, what controls should we be having in place to be able to demonstrate we're trying to protect young people and vulnerable people and everybody else, to some respects, from themselves? Yeah, and I think it's a really key point that um, organisations really have to be aware of. It's, you know, it's not enough to say, you know, we, we don't think people will be using our, our services. You have to really, at the point that you're designing your services, you have to think about the different customers and, and users and you have to consider if it's going to include young people. Now, social media apps have quite, you know, their rules are you can't have accounts till you're 13, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, they're, they're owned by Instagram or owned by Facebook, so it's a consistent approach. And typically that tends to be the sort of age that people will look at is 12, 13, that people can then have accounts. But you have to bear in mind that when you're designing your services, particularly if it's for adults and for, for young people, children, you have to think about how you can put those controls in place as an organisation that, that means that you've got that distinction and you've got that inherent privacy by design approach that protects young people. And I know that ICO have been working over the last, I think, year, and they published in September this year, a guide for organisations who are designing online services for young people. And it takes them through, you know, what considerations they have to think about how do they look at protecting that data how do they make sure that what they're designing is appropriate for, for young people and I think it's really important that companies who are developing apps whether or not you in, intend originally for them to be used by young people in that way to consider the what if because I think probably Instagram has thought that here's a response here's a, an opportunity for businesses they can get their products out there and they've probably come at it from a perspective of obviously protection of the consumer you know if you're running and trading as a business you absolutely should be transparent about your contact details your business who you are where you're based because that gives the consumer confidence and it protects consumers from scams you know there's enough of those on the internet as well so i understand why that would have been implemented but then it's that well how could this be used by young people and maybe that's the step that they haven't necessarily fully taken or thought through because they don't anticipate that young people will be running businesses so why would they do it but then that promotion of actually i'm going to be in my own brand or business so i'm going to set up in that way has then led to it their data or their their application being used in they didn't expect and it's that kind of thinking that when you're designing applications that you need to have that what if and how can you design it in a way that tries to manage that risk or mitigate that risk fully i like that i mean the geek me wants to now talk about article 35 and data protection impact assessments but it is about trying to understand it's not about having a crystal ball it's about i agree it's about looking and saying well who could use this data what controls do we have in place how can we protect them but you're right and technology is it's so useful. And I don't the know other... if, um, I was just going to say, you know, if anybody listening seen The Social Dilemma, I think that links in quite nicely because obviously the apps are designed, those, those social media apps are designed to hook us in and get us using them more and more just through psychology and, and human behaviour. Very clever. It's a little bit of a scary watch and maybe that'll be something that we'll chat about in a bit more detail in a, in a few weeks. But I think, again, it's probably children again are more susceptible to that kind of wanting to be involved in constant engagement with something whereas again you know I, you know, I grew up pre-internet and probably have a little bit more of an ability to say well actually you know I want to live in the real world and not fully just through my phone and I think that's probably very different for kids growing up where all they've known is is the ability to find what they want now right away. 
I, w- I would add just one thing to that, and this is not meant to be a scary story. It is a scary story, by the way. But if you imagine the perfect storm and you've got children using TikTok. Now, children don't get on a plane in the days when we got on planes, remember that. Children don't get on a plane and fly to a different continent to use TikTok. They do it in the neighbourhood. So let's say you've got a young TikTok user standing outside their local Sainsbury's or local Tesco's or local school, maybe outside a local road sign, something recognisable. And they also happen to have an Instagram business account. Now you know where they live. Now you know their email address. Now you know the telephone number. There's a bit of a personal profile going on there. If I was the sort of person who's that way inclined, um, you would cause an awful lot of trouble. Actually, talking of trouble, the um, and also misuse of internet. Misuse, okay, it's down to your terminology and what you think of it. The other story I've come across, Regina, fake nudes. Now, of course, that we all giggle a little bit when we hear fake nudes. Now, of course, we've seen a lot of fake technology being used where celebrities are concerned, deep fake videos, people photoshopping heads onto celebrity heads onto, I'll say it, live on air, porn star bodies. But also where we've seen in uh, election campaigns, fake news where presidential candidates have had voiceovers which weren't theirs, but it sounds and looks like them. Well, here's a really interesting one. The story was out this week. Fake nude images of more than 100 thousand women have been created from social media now it's, it's bad enough if it's a, a pop star or a celebrity but these are ordinary women i say ordinary with respect they're they're the people you meet on the street they're your friends they're your brother they're your sisters whoever they happen to be but this particular piece of software is is using ai not to pop your head on somebody else's body but literally to work out what you look like underneath your clothes and strip you um, now of course that can cause massive distress uh, particularly if if it's a photograph of you on a holiday and people can say yes i reckon i've seen those holiday snaps i didn't know that she also did a nude set but you can imagine how distressing that would be absolutely and i think it's one of those things that is really tricky to manage because you've got the internet and technology is advancing very quickly you've got you know i read the story and you know some of the the, the developers kind of like well it's not you know it's only it's no violence attached it's only a bit of entertainment you know that doesn't really wash with me and the other thing is you know with BBC uh, which is where we saw the the article had tested it and they were said at this point you know the images are not very realistic there's a belly button up by the diaphragm and stuff but you kind of think well actually not the point because the point is is that technology develops very very quickly and it will get better I'm sure and, and improve and then you will have very realistic images that are potentially going to be shared and coupled with the fact that people don't don't question what they see they don't you know they will believe those videos they will not look at a photograph even and say um, you know they believe that it's somewhere now happening at this moment and actually it's a it's a historic image from somewhere completely different in the world so when you get that then affecting individuals personally it becomes very easy for people who've got vendettas who want to cause distress to an individual to, to access photos that they've probably shared online publicly through social media probably that they can then alter and change in such a way that it will cause significant distress to that individual because other people looking at it will believe it to be real and that's a massive impact on the rights of of that individual of that woman potentially you know it would also translate if it was in a, a man that was affected and it's just how can you get the law to keep up how do we you know you can't realistically in this day and age say don't put any photograph of yourself online in any circumstance which is essentially the only way that you could 
stop that photo being used in a way that you didn't want it to be used. So the law really has to look at how do they keep up with the advances in technology and make sure that women and it wasn't, you know, all adult women, there was children. It's, you know, I know that they call them underage women and it's it's not these are children. They are also being targeted and the it's there's no violence attached it's just entertainment that, that's not an argument for me from that developer and i think really internationally because you have to look at it internationally how are these developments and the way that technology is being applied how do you manage that effectively and we struggle with the law being behind the developments and it's very difficult individually to influence that but there are good activists out there who are looking at trying to strengthen individual rights in this area and it's you know obviously there's there's the real world thing of people using camera phones in ways that they shouldn't you know in public and there will always be that kind of side of it but the law really needs to look at how they can protect women children vulnerable people and make sure that this doesn't get to a point that people's lives become destroyed or you know leads to people harming themselves significantly because they're in such distress that they believe people have seen images that they don't want them to see but are not true in the first place i think we have to constantly question and i'm really passionate about this because it from misinformation that affects you know like you say as the election people are too quick to share and you know the whole thing around covid at the moment the amount of misinformation that is out there at the moment is unreal and i just you know it's it's a responsibility to actually check look at the source where's it from is it real and it can look real it can look real as anything because of this technology the deep fake technology but you have to question it and i think there's the old adage that a photograph never lies and i think that is no longer true and videos also do lie now you can't trust anything that you don't see with your own eyes in person you i question it i would be cynical i don't know <laughs> we're always concerned i think we we're, what we're talking about here is about technologies allowing us to do things that we never conceived we would be able to do when the airplane was invented people had the idea of going crossing the sea i don't suppose at the time i think that actually i think it was orville will the right to invent the plane or had the first powered flight one of the things they said what a dream it was what a nightmare it's become because what someone did was put machine guns and bombs on it and turn it into a war Plane. And so where we, and this was in 1902, in Kitty Hawk, if my uh, memory serves correctly, uh, in the US. But the bottom line is, we've got situations where technology being used way beyond the original parameter of what people thought it could be used for. Education. Do we know what our rights are? Are we looking out for vulnerable people? Um, are we questioning it enough? And it's education and familiarity. And that's, I think that's a good starting point for trying to tackle this. Absolutely. And well, that's been like a filled 15-ish minutes. So um, really enjoyed having that chat and uh, delving into sort of a little bit more of the wider concepts of data protection and privacy there uh, with you, Neil. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. And uh, we will be back next week with uh, our next episode and Kelly should be back then. And we look forward to discussing that with you. If you've got anything that you'd like us to chat about, please contact us on coffee at dbxuk.com and we'll look forward to you listening in next week. Mm-hmm.